Thank you, Brother Larry, for that very moving ceremony for the fallen. We honor them today. Thank you for coming on this holiday weekend when some are different places and our prayers are with them for their protection. I enjoyed the music, the singing, the worship today. Uh, I think Ryan is about ready to receive the baton. He stayed on the drums the whole time and Andrew has taught him well. And then I thank God for Lucas. Lucas is new on the platform today and it's good to have these young men coming along and saying, hey, I'm here to, to bless and here to help. Would you praise God for these ministries today? It is good to be in the house of the Lord and it's good to know him. Thank you so much for being a part of what we believe that God is doing today. The sermon title today, and we hope that you have an outline. If you do not, if you will raise your hand, Brother Steve will make sure you get one. We want everyone to have an outline of the sermon. God's word is very, very precious. God's word is very, very precious. And uh, we need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. But the title of the sermon today is taken right out of the book of Acts. Turning the world upside down. Turning the world upside down. Our text is from Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. This is where that Paul was preaching Christ in Thessalonica. And it reads thus so, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devoted Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. Can you imagine going down to the marketplace, going down to a certain place and getting the ruffins, no telling who they were, from the marketplace and gathering a mob, <clears throat> set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Jason, Jason was a believer of Thessalonica, and he was hospitable to Paul and to Silas. Attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But 
when they did not find them, Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Open our ears, but most of all, open our hearts. May we be able to grasp the early church characteristics so we ourselves can display those in our culture today in Christ's name. I love the introduction on your paper. If you will, <clears throat> read it along with me. <clears throat> How did the early church turn the world upside down? A supernatural power was loose among them that healed the sick, drove out demons twice, blinded its opponents, and made hypocrites fall dead on the spot. Within one, listen to this verse, read it with me. Within one generation, only by the word of mouth, everyone within the known limits of civilization was reached with the gospel of Christ. And that, my friend, to me, without television, without all the convenience things that we have today, that is an incredible statement. How they did that. What happened? How were they able to do that? Turn the world upside down. Get the gospel to everyone at that time in civilization. Let's see how they did it. I'll give you four reasons why. I'll give you four reasons why and how they did it. They turned the world upside down through the power they possess. And I ask myself this question this morning. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Does the church, not just Bethel, but Bethel also, does the church have the power to affect our culture today in a positive way? They did not rely on persuasive arguments. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we find the Apostle Paul right into the church at Corinth. And he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Verse 2, here's what he said. For I determined, here was a preacher that chose to do this. He determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. And this is uh, respect for God, understanding that he himself could not do what needed to be done without the power and the Spirit of God, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. Excellency of speech or of wisdom refers to human rhetoric or to human wisdom. His fear was a outstanding reverence for God. 
If we all could stand in the pulpit or witness for the Lord or be obedient to God in our gifts, if we could do that in the fear of the Lord, in the respect of God. In other words, what Paul was saying, I am depending and dependent on Christ. The new buildings, the fancy architect, all the lights, all the music, all the programs, all these things will not get it done, Paul said. My confidence and my trust and my faith is certainly in Jesus Christ. They did not rely on personal ability. That's the reason he said, I'm fearful, not afraid of anyone. But he was so concerned that what he did certainly pleased God and be obedient to God. It was not Paul's ability, but the Holy Spirit's ability. <clears throat> Let me read verse 4 once again, if you will. 1 Corinthians. It says here, My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. There should not be a day that goes by. There should not be a Sunday morning service that in some measure we would not have a demonstration of the Spirit of God. I, 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 I'm going to say that one more time. Let me say it again. There should not be a day that goes by. There should not be a service that we have that in some measure there should not be a demonstration of the Spirit of God. I just, I just think it needs to be. And I think this is what transforms lives. This is what takes a sinner, an ungodly person. This is what takes a drug addict, someone that is bound with, with demonic uh, spirits, someone that is bound with alcohol, fear, doubt, unbelief. I'm talking about being bound by these things, being set free by the power of God. It is the Holy Spirit that must convict. It is the Holy Spirit that must convince. And it is the Holy Spirit that must convert. The Apostle Paul was the proclaimer. The Holy Spirit was the persuader. Keep that in mind. I can't persuade you. I can't persuade the sinner on the street or where I witness to in the grocery store or in a restaurant. I can't persuade them. It is my and your responsibility to proclaim it, to tell it. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to persuade. You have a classmate and you've been witnessing to her or him, and it seems like they're just as hard today as they were when you first started witnessing to them, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a mate, or whoever it might be. Understand this, it is the Holy Spirit's responsibility to persuade that individual to, sur to surrender their life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is present in every... Listen to this sentence. <coughs> Read your paper. Watch it. Watch it. Watch it. The Holy Spirit is present in every believer, prominent in some believers, but he has preeminent 
or he was preeminent in the early believers. He's either present, prominent, or preeminent. Ask yourself this question. I want to ask myself this question. How many services that do we have, Sunday morning or whenever, when Jesus Christ is truly preeminent in that service? Boy, that makes me think. We have great services. There is a yielding to the Holy Spirit. There is the open worship and the move of the Spirit of the Lord. I enjoy the songs and they move me. I thank God that, 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 that he is prominent. I thank God that he is present, but I want him to be preeminent in this service. So first of all, they turned their world upside down by the power they possessed. Number two, they turned their world upside down through the praying they practiced. We, uh, listen, I never have thought to go back to the good old days. <laughs> I'm not sure sometimes that they were the good old days, but I do remember in pastoring the length that I have pastored, we pastored a church on East Main Street. And uh, that church was not as large as this building, but that church building would hold 300 people. And there were times, listen to me, that it would pack out and people would stand out in the foyer, sit out in the foyer. We pastored the church where people would come up with cancer and it would fall off them. They would come in wheelchairs and crutches and they would leave walking. I prayed for one young man. He was covered with warts. Warts. Hands, face, covered. Laid my hands on him and the church prayed. The next day he got up and the warts were gone. Homosexuals would come in and they would fall in the floor and lay there for a length of time. And when they would stand up, they were totally delivered and set free. And they're married and have children now. Talking about the moving of the power of God. People would come to church drunk Get saved and leave sober. You say, Brother, I don't know what was going on there that's not going on here. Well, one of the things that was happening down, we, we, I designed that church on a, a Shoney's napkin. And if you could look at it from up above, it looked like a B-52 sitting on a runway. And we took off a lot of times. Down one of the corridors, down one of the halls, at the end of that hall, there was a large room, a large room. It would hold 30 and 40 people. There was seldom a Sunday night 
that you could walk, open the door to that hall and hear rumblings, rumblings. People were praying. They were not whispering a prayer. They were crying out to God. Listen, there's nothing wrong with a silent or quiet prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But believe me, God's not nervous. There's nothing wrong with praying silently. But there's something about a church. There's something about a group of people that will fall on their face. Kneel on their knees and spend valuable time in prayer. And it was nothing to go down that hall and hear people raising their voices and crying out. They were, they were not inhibited. They didn't care. They didn't care if you said they were too loud. They didn't. They, <coughs> And they were just loud at certain times. The early church knew what it was to pray. Look at what I've got. Every problem the early church encountered, there was but one response. Prayer. It did not matter. It was prayer. Let me read some. So, and being let, let's, let's go chapter 4 of Acts. Chapter 4 of Acts. But so that it spreads no further among the people, they were threatening the disciples. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak no, to no man in his name. In other words, they threatened the disciples, said, don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus Christ to anybody. So they called them out and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. You go down just a little bit further in that same chapter. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard this, they raised, 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 raised their voice. <laughs> I don't mean to be offensive. I really don't. The world can march and carry flags and scream to the top of their voices. And the church in timidity walks around like somebody's going to say something to them. They, listen to me, raise their voice to God with one accord, everybody. You might find one or two around that will say, okay, let's pray, and one or two. But I mean when the whole, can you imagine when the whole church gets together and begins to raise their voice? Ah, I'll tell you what happened to the church on Main Street. I'll tell you what happened to that prayer group. We started getting people, they were coming, and, and, and they got to complaining. They said, these people are praying too loud. One of them was my mother. My mother was a woman of prayer. And she didn't care who was listening to her. She prayed and cried out to God. And so many people got to complaining. Here's what it did. It just, let's not disturb people. We want to get as many people in the church as we can. Let's not offend people. 
And if we're offending them by praying too loud, then we'll just pray quietly. Listen to it again. Listen at it. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And about that time, Herod, verse verses 1 through 5, chapter 12 of, of Acts. And about that time, Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of the unleavened bread, verse 4, so when <coughs> he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant, constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer. They didn't have to answer their cell phones. They didn't have to go to their email and look at it. They didn't have to get in their cars and go off and say, let's go have a meal. They did not let anything stop them from praying. You got James, but you're not getting Peter. Oh, God. I mean, they cried out to God constantly, consistently. Powerful praying. You know what happened? Angel came and delivered Peter from the prison. You want to turn the world upside down? Start praying. We got one of the nicest prayer rooms you can find in this place. One of the nicest. I want to start seeing men laying on the floor, sitting in the seat, crying out to God. Oh, whisker was disturbed somebody. Let's not, let's not do that. Let's pray. The early church, they turned the world upside down by praying. Through the praying, they practiced. I began to pastor this church in 1969. The pastor that we had, he passed away, Carol's dad. The other day we were over on the other side, on the uh, west side of Hillsboro, and going down somewhat of an unfamiliar road for me. But we were going down this road, and Carol said, right there is where I was living when my dad got saved. Way up in the woods. And there were a many a time, there was a stump out in those woods is where he would go. And he kneeled down. And his prayers would rumble through the forest. He didn't pray five minutes. He didn't pray 30 minutes. He didn't pray an hour. He spent hours in those woods on his knees. Now, Brother Don, we live in a different time. We don't have time for that today. Yeah. In fact, he spent so much time on his knees with his shoes bent, with on his knees like this, 
when he stood up to walk, the tip in the front of his shoes stayed up like this. Let me check your shoes, guys. Come on, let's all check our shoes. No, we're not going to do that. He was a powerful man of God. And he could lay his hands on a young baby that its skeleton bones was growing in. And he lay his hand on that child. And the chest would come out as he He would pray for a young girl that had a built-up shoe. It was not like this. It was five or six inches on that shoe. Her name was Linda. He laid his hands on Linda. He laid his hands on Linda. And she took that shoe off because that leg became as long as the other leg. Brother Don, I don't believe that. Well, it happened. She became a preacher of the gospel. On and on and on. My wife and I, we were not married at that time, but Carol and I would sit out in the audience when he would prophesy. He would prophesy, and we'd look at each other, and we would say, I don't know about that one. Did you know right now, in 2019, there are things come to pass that he prophesied in the 60s that back then you would have said never will it happen. What was that birth? It was birth in prayer. How do we turn the world upside down? We pray. Samuel. I never knew this till I studied this scripture. I love this. Samuel. We need to study Samuel. Samuel. <clears throat> was a great prophet, great leader in the nation of Israel. Over and over and over again, he prayed. It says he prayed. And the people, Israel, would ask him. They'd go to him and say, Samuel, pray for me. Listen to what he said. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me, Samuel said, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Brother Don, you believe it's a sin not to pray for people? Well, that's what Samuel says. Samuel was a great man of prayer. Intercessory prayer is not only in sickness, but also during a time of rebellion of someone against the Lord, as in the case with Israel. You have a son, a daughter, a grandchild, a husband, a wife, co-worker. You have someone that's rebelling against God. God can turn that rebellion around. He did for Samuel when it came to Israel. God can do it. You turn the world upside down. Or they did through the power they possess. They turned the world upside down through the praying they practiced. And number three, they turned the world upside down through the person they preached. I, uh, I listened to Larry Smith pray and I listened to him talk. He seldom ever 
prays a prayer or he seldom ever, whether he gets in the pulpit to make an announcement, he seldom ever does not bring up the name of Jesus Christ. They did. Listen to what it says. Men of Israel, Peter says, in chapter 2 of Acts, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, not some program, not some design, not some church, not some preacher. We get off subject so many times. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. You know this. You know this. Verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose of the, and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the bands of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. That he should be held by it. Paul said right into the church at Corinth, but we preach what? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks, foolishness. But we preach Christ crucified to Washington and the religious, religious leaders of the day, a stumbling block. And to the professors in our colleges and universities and Princeton and Yale. To the wise men today, said back then the Greeks, that's foolish stuff. You go around talking about Jesus, they think you're foolish. You let a sports individual get to talk after the game, whether it's basketball or football. You get them, let them talk after the game and mention the name of Jesus. The, the announcer wants to remove the microphone. He, he or she don't know what to do. The Clemson coach didn't have a problem talking about Jesus, did he, when they won the championship? It's foolishness. The person, Jesus is the person. Listen, this is what Paul said. I love this verse. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I determined <clears throat> not to know anything among you except what? Well, we could think of 30 things to know among people when we get ready to talk to them. He says, I determine not to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let's not move away from the cross, folks. Let's not move away from the message of the cross. Let's not be ashamed of the cross. Do you know today how many churches, Pentecostal churches, Taking that cross now. They don't want the cross in the church. We don't want to offend people. If that cross offends someone, so be it. So be it. They turn the world upside down by the power they possess, by the praying they practice, by the person they preach. And then number four, they turn the world upside down through the price they pay. All of us know the martyrs that took place, the killings. All of us know how they suffered. Many of the early church were martyrs for their service to the Christ. You know what they said? You know what they said? 
They said, the cause is greater than my life. What I'm preaching, teaching, what I stand for is more important than if my life is saved. People are willing to die the most gruesome deaths for it or to lose their property and their possessions. I love this number three. Listen or read it with me. The measure of the importance of Christ is manifested in the measure to which you will go to make him known to others. To make him known to others. Help us to make Christ, you make Christ known in the workplace. You make Christ known in the marketplace. You make Christ known in your family, in your home. What a contrast today with the Christianity, the early church and Christianity today, which can't break the American culture. We fall further. Listen at me. I don't mean to be negative, but it, it's so true. We fall further and further. The church does. Further and further behind the American culture. What do you, what do you think is prominent on television? It's not God and church and Jesus Christ. It's junk. It's immorality. It's a shame and it stinks in the very nostrils of God. It stinks. Let me ask you something as I'm closing. Do you want to turn, turn Durham upside down? Let's meet out there where Larry said for us to meet downtown. Let's pray for our church. I would be tickled to death if I came in one Sunday morning and looked in that prayer room, and it was full of people praying. Brother Don, I just can't get to church on time. Shame on you. We get to work on time, don't we? It would tickle me to death that we'd come in here on Friday night, and there'd be about 30, 40 people prostrate on the floor. Just lay it would be so wonderful to walk into the foyer on Friday night or whenever and hear the rumbling and hear the rumbling. I want to challenge you. You want to turn your home upside down? You want to turn the, the city upside down? You want to turn America upside down? You want to change it? I do. America is fastly going. Listen, in the way of sin, I'm going to challenge us to come to the altar. And what we're going to do is kneel on the altar. Now, I'm not going to ask you to cry out to God now. I'm going to, you sort of have to warm up to it, and I know that. But I am going to ask you to pray. I am going to ask you to kneel down. If you can't kneel down, I'm going to ask you to sit on the seat. We usually stand, and it's great. I like that. I love you coming to the altar. But as Brother Matt and them come, we have plenty of time. I've left plenty of time. For you to come and pray. Don't forget this afternoon uh, the respect that we should show Tim Johnson, the memorial service. His son is here from San Francisco. You'll get to meet him. You'll, you'll get to meet some of his family. Let's, let's do that. Go get you, go get your Chick-fil-A. 
I just wanted to find out if you're listening is what I said. Go pick you up a sandwich somewhere and come back. Or go enjoy a meal with your wonderful family. Whatever you've chosen to do this holiday, you do it. Father, we love you this morning. God, I'm glad that the early church turned their world upside down. I'm glad, dear God, for the power that they possessed. I thank you for a church that knew how to pray. I thank you for Jesus Christ, the person that they preached. And I thank you, Lord, that they were willing. Most of the disciples gave their life as a testimony to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Help us as we end this service, as we pray. Would you stand and will you come as we sing?